You're listening to a sermon by Hope Bible Church Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at hopeniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. Well, good morning, Hope Bible Church Niagara. So good to see you. It's uh, just a wonderful, we've had, I don't know what the weather's, but I've been away all week. Uh, I'm back. This is my first day back from vacation, so if I seem uh, a, little, uh, a little light on my feet this morning, it's because I am. We've had a great, uh, great time away. Turns out I missed a fantastic work day yesterday, so thank you for all those who weren't on vacation, who were sweating away over at the new facility. Thank you so much for your hard work over there, and for those who organize. Also, too, lots of work being done this week. Praise God for some great work being done this week in the Backyard Bible Club, and the gospel going forward, and think of the impact, not only of the children there, but the gospel going into homes and, and what God is doing. And, and just uh, God's people are so much at work here. It's such an encouragement. And um, I feel like I've been, been away for a week. I feel like I missed like a lot. And uh, Nathaniel here preached a phenomenal sermon a week ago and uh, really grateful for him. And uh, so many good things going on. There's many challenges many heavy things that many are dealing with right now, but we are also so encouraged. I just wanted to bring this to your, your attention, is uh, uh, next Sunday, so one week from today, Sunday evening, uh, we, are, we are putting on a special, calling it a Night of Hope, at Rose City Kids, at the facilities of Rose City Kids in Welland. And uh, there's going to be a worship service there, and then afterwards there's going to be pizza. And uh, you are welcome to attend if you would like to. Uh, we really want to just uh, just seek the Lord's leading as we um, uh, as we would minister and reach out to people in that community for this night of worship. And uh, but you are welcome to come. But we we do need you to register for that because we need to know how much pizza to provide. Okay, I mean if uh, we know that Jesus was able to take five loaves and two fish and uh, divide them up and like that. So if you feel like it's a lack of faith on our part, we get that, we accept it, but still we are going the very practical route of asking if you do plan to come to register, we will make sure that there is a, um, a link in, in Hope Happenings this Friday when it comes out. So check for that by email. You're welcome to come, but please register. But please do, please pray and pray that uh, as we just seek, we don't, we don't know in the long run what this would mean, but we want to just put on a night of hope and there's folks that uh, Rose City Kids are reaching out to, household that they've reached out to. They do a great work for children, and uh, we love that. We're excited about that, but we're thinking, we're thinking of the, uh, the adults in the homes where they're coming from and just seeing if, just what the Lord might do there. And uh, so we're just putting on a night of hope. It's a worship. It's, we're going to praise the Lord, then we're going to eat pizza, and uh, you are welcome to come, and um, there will be information and hope happenings. This Friday, again, though, please, please do register for that so we know how much pizza needs to be provided, okay? When I was a kid, I loved the story of the three little pigs. You know the story? Right, these three little piggies just, just living their lives, doing their thing, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, there comes along what? A big, bad a big bad wolf. And the big bad wolf, he comes to the first little piggy's house and it was built of straw and the wolf knocks on the door and says, let me in. And the piggy says, not by the hair of my chinny chin. 
So you know the story, right? Not by the hair of my chinny chin chin. Well, if you don't, I'll huff and I'll puff and I'll blow your house down. And so he does, and he blows this, this poor little piggy. He's just mind his own business, and this big bad wolf blows his house down. Little piggy runs to his brother's house. The wolf follows him there. Same thing, knocks on the door, let me in. Not by the hair of my chinny chin chin. He says, well, I'll huff and I'll puff and I'll blow your house down. And this house is made of sticks, but that big bad wolf, he could breathe all right. He could exhale, and he blew that house down. Those little piggies go to their brother's house. Now, the third house was made of brick. It was strong, and that wolf comes and says, let me in. And they say, not by the hair of my chinny chin. Well, then I'll huff and I'll pluff and I'll blow your house down. And so he does. He huffs and he puffs and he blows, but he can't because it's made of bricks and it won't, and it won't go down. Now, depending on the version of the story you heard, the one that I was told when I was little is that the big bad wolf climbed up the chimney and he came down the chimney and got burned in the pot in the, in the bottom. But there's others, maybe more morbid endings of that story. But the thing that I love about the story of the three little pigs is that these three little innocent pigs come out on top. And the big bad wolf gets what's coming to him. I like that. That's usually in life the way we want things to go, isn't it? We, we want the good guys to win. We want the bad guys to get what's coming to them. We're, we're hardwired for justice to win the day. And I think that's why so many of these stories resonate with us. I mean, we're gladdened when Cinderella's uh, evil stepmother and stepsisters are stopped in their tracks. We, we're, we, we love it when, when the prince and Snow White live happily ever after and the queen's evil plans are foiled. We, we love that the, the trickery and the conniving of the, of the evil two-faced Prince Hans turns back on him and Princess Anna and Queen Elsa are able to enjoy the life they've always dreamed of as sisters and the little snowman even gets his own personal snowstorm. We love these stories because I think we are, we are hardwired for justice and for the good guy to win. But that's often just the way it goes in fantasy land, in the fairy tales. In real life, yeah, sometimes the good guy does win, and sometimes the bad guy does get what's coming to him. But sometimes, maybe even oftentimes, that's not how it goes. In real life, sometimes, too often, the good guy doesn't win. Far too many times, the bad guy gets away with it. We love happy endings in the stories, but in real life, sometimes those happy endings just don't seem to come. And that can leave us angry, frustrated, and maybe even a little embittered. I mean, we look around the world and we can see example after example of wicked people doing wicked things, and they seem to get away with it. We see in our own lives loved ones taken advantage of. It, it, it grieves us and angers us. And we encounter, sometimes we just encounter heartbreak, circumstantial heartbreak. Maybe it's illness or loss or tragedy. Or sometimes we encounter things that just make us shake our head and cry out, why? The community from which we moved uh, a year ago, last summer, knows us all too well. In 2015, a family uh, traveling, two grandparents with their three grandbabies were traveling in a van uh, just from our city in Brampton where we used to live uh, to their home when they were struck, they were T-boned at an intersection by a drunk driver. 
All three children were killed and their grandfather. The mother and father received word at home that their babies were gone, all of them. And these two parents of three children are now no longer parents of three children. If that isn't bad enough in 2020, something very similar, eerily similar happened. Uh, an intoxicated driver racing at a high rate of speed slammed in the side of a vehicle driven by a mother and her three babies, all of them killed. And it's infuriating. And yes, there was, there was court proceedings and there was guilty verdicts. But even the harshest of sentences still leaves a community, a people, even someone like me, wondering, wondering why. And as Christians, we are encountered with a real, raw question we're encountered with it from others and we wrestle with it ourselves. And the question is this, where is God? Where is God in this? It's interesting to note that we find that very question wrestled with in Scripture. Like in the Bible, you, you open up the Bible and you find the deepest, most most uh, painful questions of your heart are raised and wrestled with in Scripture. And our text today is one example of that. The author of Ecclesiastes, like you and me, looked around and observed that we live in a world of injustice. There is evil in this world. And yes, sometimes, sometimes there's a happy ending. Sometimes there's a judgment comes down that fits the crime. But so often, there's no judgment that could fit the crime. There's, there's, there's no putting it back together. And too often, evil people just get away with doing evil things. And the author of Ecclesiastes, just like you and people you love in your life, looked at this and felt the same things that you feel. Anger and frustration and maybe even some bitterness and some cynicism over time. Wrestling with that question. God, where are you? Where are you in this world of injustice? He was sickened by it. And he writes in Ecclesiastes with a, a kind of righteous indignation about the fact that the world is the way it is, that the world is not a fairy tale. But in fact, it's a very painful place that makes us shake our heads. He wrestles with this, and I would say gives almost full vent to his feelings. But at the same time, I think he also gives to us some important insight about this subject of injustice. So in our passage today, we're going to see a, a kind of lament. We're going to see a, a giving vent to the feelings that we have about living in a world of injustice. But we're not just left there. I believe our text also not only gives us words to articulate our feelings, but also gives us some insights. I would say four things that we need to know our text shows us about living in a world of evil and injustice. And our, our passage begins in Ecclesiastes 3 and goes over into chapter 4. So would you turn there in your Bible, please, to Ecclesiastes chapter 3, and uh, we're going to begin at verse 16, and uh, our scripture text will be 3 verses 16 to 4 verse 3. 
And uh, if you don't have a copy of the scripture with you, I'd love, love for you to just reach out. There should be one nearby, just in the, the back of the pew in front of you. Just reach out and lay hold of a, a Bible so you can see it for yourself. Many of you have them on an app on your phone, and that's a great way to follow along too. Just love for you to get a copy of the scriptures open and to turn to Ecclesiastes 3. We are in a teaching series through this book in the Old Testament. Uh, the series is called Making Sense of life. It's, it's wisdom for the real world from Ecclesiastes. And here in chapter 3 and verse 16, the author of Ecclesiastes, he's been making observations, true observations, kind of raw observations about life in this world. And now he makes some observations about evil and injustice. In fact, you'll see that in verse 16. Ecclesiastes 3, verse 16, he says, Moreover, I saw that, that uh, I saw under the sun, so in this world, under the sun, that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. So he, he looks around this world and he's, he's observing the fact that there's evil in this world, but he says, you know what? There's even evil and injustice in places where there's supposed to be righteousness and justice. He looks around and he observes just like you and I do. We look around this world and we see in courtrooms around the world injustices, in police headquarters, in, in government precincts where there's supposed to be righteousness. He, he sees injustice and where, where people are charged with upholding law and rewarding good and punishing evil. He sees there's so many times the opposite is happening. And you've observed that too in this world that we live in. We see this all the time. We, see, we, we know of situations at home and abroad of where there's corruption in people who are given great trust, where bribery, bribery and favoritism rule the day, criminal proceedings that are undermined by high-priced lawyers and legal loopholes and even trickery. We see it happen where innocent people are harassed and persecuted. And we, we see it in, in varying degrees, but I think of, of places like if we were to uh, encounter brothers and sisters who love the Lord living in places like Pakistan, where, where there's blasphemy laws, or Iran, they would tell us about uh, significant pressures that they face. And, and we face pressures, too, of various kinds as well. But what the author of Ecclesiastes is doing, I believe it's Solomon, he's looking around and he's saying, listen, this is a world in which, in which there's, there's places where there's supposed to be rightness, but there's so much wrongness. And we feel that, don't we? we? We have a sense that things are often not the way they're supposed to be. Have a look at chapter 4, verse 1. He says, again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun in this world. And behold, the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors, there was power, and there was no one to comfort them. We kind of feel that, don't we? we can, many of us can think of examples of that where there are victims who are powerless. And so often there are perpetrators who get away with it, who seem to have some kind of built-in immunity. Oh, that the fairy tales would come true. Think of the violence and abuse, even in our own community, that are suffered by women and children. Think of the horrors, the horrors of sex trafficking. That's happening right under our noses in Niagara and in the province of Ontario. Kidnapping and enslavement, terrorism in all kinds of different places, hopeless cycles of poverty. 
And on the other side of the ledger, it's so often the rich get richer. And it seems that for some, there's, there's rules that apply to the rest of us that don't apply to them. No justice. See, the author of Ecclesiastes is observing this and giving vent to this. This is a frustration. The implicit question here is, God, where are you? Do, do you not see? Do you not see what's going on here? Notice what he says in verse 2. He says, and I thought, so he's reflecting on all this injustice in the world. Now, notice what he says. And I thought the dead who are already dead more fortunate than the living who are still alive. That's strong words. This world is so corrupt and so evil. Do you know what? I'm envious of the people who are dead because they don't have to see it anymore. Verse 3, he says, and better, and better than both. So better, you know what's better than being dead? Better than both is he who has not yet been and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. Do you hear what he's saying? You know who the luckiest people of all are? The people who've never been born. It's pretty raw, isn't it? It's pretty real. And isn't it true that even at least sometimes, this is kind of how we feel when we look at evil and injustice in the world. Now, at this point, we could just join hands and have a good cry together, couldn't we? But there's four things here that I think this text of Scripture shows us that are vitally important for you and I as the people of God to see and to understand. Think about that question, God, where are you? Well, there's four things that this text, four insights that we have in this passage that I want you to see that help us to find our way through this, e this world that is full of evil and injustice. Four things that you need to know about living in our world. Number one, when it comes to evil and injustice, number one, God knows all about it. God knows all about it. Now, I know right away that raises more questions, but I just don't want to rush over that. I want you to notice this. It's perhaps one of the most obvious things about this text, but probably the most easily overlooked things of, thing about this text is that God knows all about it. You say, well, how, are you sure he knows all about it? Yeah, because I'm reading about it right here in his word. The Bible given to us that comes with, by the Spirit of God ultimately from him it's testifying, it's speaking, not only, the, not only the realities of what is happening, but also how, it, how we feel about it. We read here words that are ultimately inspired by the Spirit of God that just like, yeah, yeah, that's how I feel sometimes, looking at things that have happened in my family, things that have happened to me, things that are going on around me. This is how I feel. These words are coming to us through the human author from the Lord. It reminds me of this wonderful fact that God is fully aware. He is fully knowledgeable. When we cry out to him and we lament the evils and injustices that we encounter, we're not telling him things that he doesn't already know. He sees it. He knows it. And I would say he knows it in two senses. Now, I don't think this is the first time I've told you this, but I think it's really important for you to see this. He knows it in two sentences. First, God knows the fact of it. He knows the fact of it. Like, he knows the reality. It's, it's right here in his word. We read in his word what is, what is happening in the world around us. And, and it shows us that whatever the reasons might be for him allowing it, 
The issue is not that he doesn't know. He is aware. And I think it's important for you and I as Christians, especially as we encounter those who are not yet Christians in our lives, who are having questions about trying to make sense of this all-powerful, all-loving, all-knowing God, it's important for us to be equipped with this reality, this knowledge of the fact that, yeah, the Bible, the Bible is not aloof to the horrors and tragedies of this world. In fact, the Bible plainly and straightforwardly speaks of it and speaks to it and teaches us about it, where it even comes from, where it's all going. The Bible is not aloof to the horrors of this world, nor, nor are we naive about the plight of many hurting people. The scriptures frequently speak truthfully and passionately about evil in this world tells us where it comes from and where it's going. It's important for you to understand that God knows all about it. He knows the fact of it, evil and injustice. He knows. He knows the fact of it. But not only does he know the fact of it, you know what else he knows? He knows the feeling of it. He knows the feeling of it. Remember, God himself came into this world in the person of Jesus Christ. And when you think about that, Jesus, God the Son, he came into this world. He took on flesh, the Bible teaches us. And he walked this world, the same world in which you and I live. Yeah, things look a lot different. There is, right, there's lots of things we have now that they didn't have back then. But it's the same human heart and the same levels of depravity. There is nothing new under the sun. And Jesus knows what it is to look, into, look out into a world that is filled with injustices. He knows the feelings that you and I have sometimes when we see bad people getting away with doing bad things. And not only does he know the feeling of seeing it happen around him, he knows the feeling of it happening to him. Because Jesus was murdered. He was falsely accused. He was brutally abused. And he was crucified unjustly. Jesus himself was a victim of terrible injustice. The Bible says that, how did he feel about it? The Bible says this is how he felt about it, deeply distressed, we read in the Gospels. He was deeply distressed. He was overwhelmed with sorrow, Mark 14 tells us. Overwhelmed with sorrow. Some of you know what it is to be overwhelmed with sorrow. And Jesus knows it too. Overwhelmed with sorrow. The Bible teaches us that he endured agony and suffered intense physical pain, emotional pain, and spiritual pain. And did he deserve any of it? No. See, when we say that God knows all about it, we're saying that he knows the fact of it and he also knows the feeling of it. So whatever the reasons are, we can conclude this. It's not that he doesn't know, and it's not that he doesn't care, because he's faced it himself. And when we pray and when we cry out, we're not calling out to someone who doesn't understand. Actually, we're calling out to someone who fully understands. Isn't that a comfort this morning, dear Christian? A comfort in the midst of still lots of questions. Still lots of questions. But isn't it a comfort to know that when you cry out to God in bitterest grief, you call out to a God who knows and gets it. He gets it. The Lord Jesus will look at you and say, I know exactly 
what you're saying. God knows all about it. Don't overlook that. For some of you, this might be the point that you need to hear today. God knows. That he would say to you, as it were, personally this morning, I know. I see. Of course, that raises this question. If he knows, then why doesn't he do something about it? Like, why doesn't he make it stop? Because it's been going on for a while. He's known about it longer than I've known about it. It's still happening. Why is he not dealing with it? I think a partial answer comes to us in verse 17 of chapter 3. Look at verse 17 in chapter 3. He says, I said in my heart, so he looks around at evil and justice, and he talks to himself. Do you ever talk to yourself? Some of you do? You talk to yourself? Some of you, so now that people got, you know, like, like they got a little wireless stuff like that, you see people talking, and sometimes, are they talking to themselves or are they talking to somebody? I don't know. He's talking to himself here. I said in my heart, what does he say? God will judge the righteous and the wicked. For there is a time for every matter and for every work. He's reminding himself about some things he'd been saying earlier in chapter 3. Remember a couple weeks ago, we, we studied the first part of chapter 3 all about the subject of time. And one of the key repeated points we saw there is that there is a time for everything. And he reminds himself that just as there is a time for evil, there is going to be a time for true and full justice. And he comforts himself with this. Reminds himself this. This is something that you and I need to do. Remind ourselves of some things that maybe we're overlooking or forgetting. Remind yourself of this. God is going to deal with it. When it comes to evil and injustice, God is going to deal with it. He's going to. I know you wanted him to have dealt with it yesterday. I know that. But understand, don't lose heart, loved one. He is going to deal with it. And this isn't, this isn't a minor point in Scripture. This is a repeated theme throughout the Bible, even a repeated theme right here in Ecclesiastes. If you just look at the end of the book, just for a moment, in chapter 12 and verse 14, the, concluding, the, the grand conclusion of the book, the last word, as it were, in the book of Ecclesiastes. I'll read from chapter 12 and verse 13. It says, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Now, verse 14, chapter 12. For God will bring every deed into judgment. Oftentimes, the Bible's teaching on judgment troubles us. Because it brings us into some uncomfortable conversations about the wrath of God. And there's a time and a place where we can address that and, and dive into the deep end on, on that. But I want you to notice here for a moment that God's, the Word of God's teaching on judgment is also, for many people, a tremendous source of hope. That there will be justice. You think, think about the thing that's landed on you. Maybe it's something that's been done to you, or maybe it's just something that's happened, circumstantial, and how you feel about the injustice of that. There's coming a day when that will be dealt with and all will be made right. The, the accounts will be balanced. That is given to you in part for your hope and encouragement. It is going to be dealt with. He says, for God will bring every deed into judgment. Chapter 12, verse 14. 
with every secret thing, whether good or evil. So everything, everything, God sees it all and he is going to deal with it. How about Acts 17 and 31? I think I got this one for you on the screen. Acts 17 and 31. Notice this. God has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness. So God's got a calendar, okay? And he doesn't show us his calendar. He tells us some things that are on it, but he's not in the habit of giving us specific dates. But on his calendar, right, if God had an iPhone, he pulled his iCalendar there, there's a date that's marked. He's fixed a day on which he's going to do something, on which he will judge the world in righteousness. That's what we long for. Righteous judgment. Like, let's get this right. Let's not be playing games here with years and time and, and all that. Let's, let's get this right. He will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. Who's the man he's appointed? It's Jesus. So Jesus, <clears throat> hands up if you think Jesus will be a good judge. Yeah, I'm, I'm comforted by this. I'm encouraged by this. Yep, by the man he's appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. You're like, how, how can you be so sure? I'm as, as sure as Jesus arose from the dead, and my faith hangs on that. So also it is sure that he will do this. He's got a date in his calendar. Don't know when it will be. I do know this. We are one day closer to it today. We are one day closer. It's coming. In which he will deal with it. Evil and injustice will not continue forever. It will end. And it won't be overlooked. Listen, loved ones, no one will truly ever get away with anything. That's an encouragement. But it also should make us pause ourselves. Because while we are especially wrestling with the problem of evil and injustice in the world and around us, then that happens to us today, we're especially focusing on that, we also have to not ignore the reality that we have all, in different ways, been guilty ourselves of evil and injustice. I can remember back right before I went into senior kindergarten. So I'm pretty little. I remember me and a buddy of mine, we used to ride our bikes around the neighborhoods. Back then, there was only half-day kindergarten. So you had the morning to kill before you went to school in the afternoon. And uh, that's in the morning, we'd ride our bikes around the neighborhood. And, and uh, there was this, this kid who lived in our neighborhood who was often that kid who was kind of left out. And um, we were driving around, and he and I just like, hey, hey, let's go. Let's pretend that we want to hang out with him. Let's go. We'll knock on his door and get him to come out. And then when he comes out to play, we'll take off on him. Right? And just think, what a jerk. I know. I know. Going into senior kindergarten, question, did I know it was wrong? Absolutely, I knew it was wrong. Did I do it anyway? Absolutely. Knock on his door. He's so excited. You can see, now I think back, and I think the surprise in his face. Some kids want to play. Nobody ever shows up wants to play with me. Put away your toys and get ready and come outside. And what do jerk and jerk do? We took off. Now I think about this now as a parent. I'd like to go back and place my hands firmly around my own throat and squeeze tightly. <laughs> it's a terrible thing to do. 
I wasn't even in senior, senior kindergarten. I didn't need anybody to lecture me on how wrong that was. It was a terrible thing to do to someone. And the scary thing is, the sad thing is, it's far from the worst thing I've ever done to anybody. And if that unsettles you at all, let it unsettle you. But the reality is, is that I know me, and my guess is you know you. And if we want to lay all our cards on the table this morning, we should look at this day of judgment and not be too cocky. In fact, we should look at this day of judgment and run to the Savior and say, have mercy on me, a sinner. And you know, wonderfully, that's available to you today. The judge today comes to you as a Savior and says, I can wash, I can, I, I can grant you pardon for your trickery, for hurting that little boy so many years ago in a deeply wounding emotional way and all the other countless things that others know about and even the ones that people don't know about. I can have mercy on you by virtue, Jesus would say, of the cross in which I paid for that penalty for your sin. And you can find mercy. And I would invite you to do it today. Now as we wrestle with injustices around us, it's important for us to recognize our own injustices, but to remember the truth that God will deal with it. Nobody gets away with anything. So on one hand, thank you God for Jesus, because nobody's getting away with anything. But as we wrestle with the problem of evil and injustice in the world, we can also rejoice in the Lord and the justice of God that the things that grieve us and that make us cry out, God, where are you? Where are you? He knows. And he is going to deal with it. He will. Of course, that raises the question, well, then what's the holdup? Why, why is he taking so long? I mean, it's been a long time and the pain just keeps mounting up. If he gives us another day, we all know, we all know that tomorrow will be filled with injustices and there will be bitter tears wept tomorrow if God grants it. So why doesn't he deal with it today? Why not yesterday? What's, what's he waiting for? Well, we may never fully understand, but I do think there is part of an answer in verse 18. He says this. He says, I said in my heart, now again, he's reflecting, still talking to himself, processing this. I said in my heart with regard to the children of man, that's humanity, that's you and me, people. I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. There's something going on right now. It's a kind of test, but it's not like a pass-fail test like you do in school, like to see how much you know. No, it's a test to show us something, to reveal something to us. And it's this, God is revealing to us, showing to humanity our true fallen disposition and character. As we live in this world of injustice, we are seeing and feeling that apart from God, depravity knows no boundaries. Like, God is disabusing humanity of our self-righteousness. Many people 
when you hear about the subject of sin and judgment, are quick to defend because we feel accused in our hearts, and rightly so. But many people say, well, I'm, I'm basically good. I'm a, I'm a pretty good person. But what's happening in this world around us is that this world of good persons is not good. You say to yourself, well, I'm a good person, but I shared some of my dirty laundry this morning. Do you want to come on up and air out some of yours? Maybe we could make a high-definition documentary of your life, but you don't get to edit it. We get to review all the footage. And then we'll put together a little montage. Put that in your Facebook feed. I wouldn't be down with that. If every moment of my life was displayed for others to see the true motives behind doing the things that I do, how much time I spend, spend doing what, the things that I've said, the things that I've done, the things I've not said and not done. See, what's happening in this world filled with injustice is on a personal level and on a corporate level, we're being disabused of our own sense of self-righteousness. We cannot seriously look each other in the eye and say we're basically good. We can't. And we look in this world around us and we see that what God is demonstrating is that we are indeed fallen. Now understand, this isn't the whole of the answer. This is just part of the answer. If we were to really fully address today the, the question of why God allows evil things to happen in this world, why doesn't he stop it? Well, there, there's lots of things that we would need to, to talk about. We need to talk about uh, the real-life effects of the fall. We need to talk about Satan, our adversary. We need to talk about the work and activity of demons. We need to talk about the, the flesh, human beings in our, in our hearts. We need to teach on and, and think about the patience of God, the wisdom of God, the ultimate glory of God. There's, there's many, many more things to be said in understanding why God, is, God doesn't stop this evil injustice now. Why hasn't he done it already? But here's the key thing I want you to see this morning. It's this, is that when it comes to evil and injustice, God has reasons for allowing it. He has reasons. We don't fully understand them all, but he does give us some insight into it. And one of the, one of the observations made here, is made here in this text is that it's a kind of test going on in which humanity is collectively seeing that we fail. That we fail. The Bible says, none are righteous, no, not one. And when we look around in the world that we're in, can we argue that? Truly, there's only one who's ever walked this world who is righteous, the Lord Jesus Christ. God has reasons for allowing it. Loved ones, lay hold of that. Trust him in it. If it's necessary for you to know every angle of every reason that God has for allowing you to go through the things that he's allowed you to go through, you're not going to find it. There's, there's things that God may reveal to you in time. But he calls you right now to trust him now. Trust him. Will you trust him? Will you trust him? I know for some of you, like you have no idea what you're asking, Pastor. No, I probably don't. But God does. And the implicit call here in this text is, will you trust him? He's got reasons He's got reasons. There's a test going on, and the test is demonstrating that we have fallen short of the glory of God. Why has God not stopped it? Well, he's got reasons for allowing it. That's the third insight. So we've seen three things already. We've seen that 
When it comes to evil and injustice, God knows all about it. Uh, He's going to deal with it. He's got reasons for allowing it. Now, there's one more thing, one more insight I want you to note, and it's this, that God has a path for you through it. God has a path for you. In this world of evil and injustice, what you wrestle with philosophically and even emotionally in this world, trying to make sense of life in the way it is, and then personally, what you're suffering, what you're encountering, maybe it's not even anything somebody said or done to you. Maybe it's just your circle. It's the hand you're dealt, and it's hard, and it doesn't seem fair. And you're wrestling with this, and you're you're trying to figure out what to do and, and how to move forward. Well, here's the thing. God has a path for you through it. Look at verse 22. He says here, wrestling with this whole subject, he said said lots of things here, but he comes to verse 22 in the middle of our text, and he says, so I saw that there's nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? Do you hear the nature of that question? We, We can't see beyond right now. God shows us, he's got promises for us, so he's given us some real insight to look ahead to see that we can say that he is going to deal with it and we can know that he does see it and and we've got great reason to hope in Jesus Christ to be sure. But in terms of the immediate circumstances, what's gonna happen next? What's gonna come? How how is this person gonna respond? What's gonna transpire? We don't know what tomorrow will bring. So what do we have for right now? Well, we have this. We have this, to rejoice in God, to enjoy what he's put before us to enjoy, and to be about the work that he's given us to do, whatever that may be in whatever stage of life you're in. In other words, it's to come to a place of laying aside, wishing my life was a certain way, in order to just live my life the way that God has given it to me. So many of us spend so much time and so much mental energy and anguish just wishing our lives were different. Often it's by way of comparison. Oh, I mean, I wish that my life was like her life, and then it'd be so much better. And of course, we know the folly of that because we know that the the Facebook-edited presentation of her life is not real. I mean, there's real things in it, but there's all kinds of stuff that aren't there. If only I had what he had. But we know, of course, there's lots of things that we don't know, and we don't even know what he has. No, listen, let's lay aside wishing, wishing for life the way I wish it would be and live the life that God has put before us. You say, well, that doesn't sound very inspiring, Pastor. Well, let me inspire you. This is what Jesus did. It's how he rolled. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. We're told this. Or said, here it is on the screen. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now, if you're going to run with endurance, is it going to be easy or is it going to be hard? Hard, right? So you say, you say run. Oh, great. I like running, okay? I actually enjoy running. I know for some of you that makes me a little weird, but I'm okay with that. The, the part of the running is fine. It's the endurance part. How far are we talking? Just run with endurance. Is it going to be uphill? Just run with endurance. Okay? 
Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. You've got, you are in a race right now. You are running it. Maybe you're straggling along. Maybe you're, you're getting a puff of air in the sidelines at the moment. Let's run with endurance the race that is set before you. God has got a path before you. He's got, he's got responsibilities he's given you. Maybe there's work you're called to. There's family responsibilities you've got. There are uh, maybe ministry opportunities that are in front of you. You've run the race that is set before you. I'm here, and I, I wish I, I want to run in his lane. I wish I was running in her lane. No, run your race. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. You see, Jesus knows what it is to be running the race. He, he knows what it is. So we look to him. How, how do I do this? Well, I'm going to look to Jesus. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, notice, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame. I won't let shame stop me from running the race that God has put before me with endurance. Despising the shame, and notice, and is seated at the right hand of God. Now, I want you to see that, that your future is tied with Jesus, dear Christian, so there's a race that's set before you, and I'm calling on you today to run it with endurance. But do it with joy. He talks about joy here. I saw that there is nothing better than a man should rejoice in his work. God has given me something that is good for me to do. Where maybe it's your family responsibility, maybe it's something in your community, maybe it's, it's your academic pursuits right now. Whatever it is, he's given you something to do, and you're called to do it with joy. There's pain and there's sorrow in the midst of it. There's grief at times, and that's why we're called to run with endurance. But to do it with joy, with, there's joy that was set before Jesus, there's joy that's set before you. Hope, hope of a day when there will be justice, wrong will be set right. And you will be there with your Savior, who right now is at the right hand of God. He's preparing a place for you. And so you're going to one day be with him. And it will be, it will be a happy ending. You will see, dear Christian, that the fairy tales got nothing on the tail of your life when you're with Jesus. And so my call on you this morning is to see this path that God has put before you and see that he's calling you to go through it. God has a path for you through it. I think of it this way. Uh, this may, if this sounds a little off, I'm sorry, but it works for me. Think about your life like a card game, like a game of cards. And I don't know your background. Maybe this right away <laughs> puts you off too. But anyway, just, just work with me, okay? I'm trying. You play a game of cards. I don't know what your card game is or isn't. Maybe it's Uno. I don't know. But the deck is shuffled, and round and round and round it goes. The cards are dealt, and the cards are dealt out, and you pick up your hand, and now what you've got in your hand is what you've got to work with within the rules of the game. This is the hand that you're dealt. Now, for some of you, you're looking today at the hand you've been dealt, and you're saying, I got a dumpy hand. I don't like the hand that I've been dealt. I bet you he's got a better hand than me. Maybe. I bet you she's got a way better hand than any of us. Maybe. Maybe not. But the issue is, is that God has given you, he's dealt a hand to you. And the path that he has for you through it is looking to Jesus. Live your life playing the hand that God has dealt you. God has dealt you.
You've got to play that. You can't have somebody else's hand. It's their hand. He's giving you your hand. You say it's not a very good hand. God knows that. Play it. And in faith, loved ones, as you, God has a path for you through it. When you're joined to Jesus, I'll give you a little insight in your life. When you trust in Jesus, no matter how bad your hand, you want to know a secret? Every hand dealt to a child of Jesus is a winning hand. You say, that's not possible. I don't have a flush. I don't have straights. I don't have I got nothing. I got nothing. No, you got Jesus. You play the hand that God has dealt you. And you watch and see how he'll win the game. That's the call. Dear friend, you and I often do not have control over the circumstances of our lives. We don't usually choose our family. We don't select our emotional makeup. Choosing your physique is not like going to a buffet. We're like, oh, I think I'll take a little bit of that and a little bit of that, and I won't take any of that. Things happen around you and to you that you have no control over. The one thing you do have control over is how you'll respond to it. In a world filled with evil and injustice, where you find yourself in a situation you haven't chosen for yourself, how will you respond? I want to challenge you to respond in three ways as I close. Name it, check it, walk it. Name it. In what sense have you been dealt a bad hand? Disadvantages? Evil you've endured? Hardship you're enduring? What bitter pill have you been made to swallow? Name it. Name it before God. When we name it to one another, we often call it complaining. In the Bible, when you name it before God, you know what it's called? It's called lamenting. <laughs> lamenting before God. It is what godly people do. Is we lament before God the sorrows that we're facing. The dumpy hand we've been dealt. The things that are happening around us that we just can't put together and it grieves us. Lament it before him. Say, how do I do that? You pray. You, you talk to him and you tell him what it is that's tearing you up, just like the author of Ecclesiastes does. Granted, it's not a prayer, but these words, remember, are given to us by the Spirit of God to help us, among other things, to pray. To say, Lord, this is how I feel right here. I'm reading this passage. And this is, what I, this is how I'm feeling. This is what I'm thinking. Tell it to him. Name it. Get as specific as you can. You say, what good will that do? I think it will do your soul a lot of good. Because it's one of the ways, I, by God's grace, that he's given us to be open and vulnerable before him. We're not playing a religious game where I hide over here behind a curtain. Sometimes we treat God like we do, unfortunately, some of our grandparents. 
There's certain things we don't want to tell them because for some reason we think they won't be able to handle it. Grandparents, what nonsense is that, isn't it? The people in your life who have the most wisdom and experience, you should probably take your dirty laundry to them as well. But that's another sermon. Too often we treat God like that. Stop treating him like that. Name it. Show him your hand. He knows your hand. He dealt it to you. Lord, this is my hand. It grieves me. Frustrate. Take it to him. Name it. Name it. Second, check it. The it I'm referring to is your attitude and your heart. Ask yourself these. <laughs> these are not fun questions, but I would challenge you to ask yourself these questions. To what degree am I mired in self-pity? To what degree am I hoping for revenge? To what degree am I swimming, if not drowning, in resentment? For how long will I passively bristle at my lot in life and mutter under my breath about God? Check it. Check your attitude, your heart. Once you've named it, then maybe you need to check it. Say, Lord, you know, you know my attitude. You know my heart. You know the vengeance I so crave. I'm not sure that it's all just. You know the frustration that I feel. You know the humiliation. You know the sorrow. Name it. Check it. Third, walk it. What has God put before you? What hand has he dealt to your hand? Friends, parents, children, work, ministry, what has God given you to do? Walk it. Walk it in faith. Believing in God's goodness. Banking on his promises. Loving him. Walk it in hope. Hoping in a God who can do in and through you more than you could ever dare to ask or imagine. Walk it in the footsteps of Jesus. Looking to him, remembering you've got a savior, you've got a Lord who knows what it is to walk a path like what you're walking. Walk it in faith, in hope, in the footsteps of Jesus. And maybe along the way, as you walk it, you will find it very helpful to do what we'll close our service in doing, and that is to worship. You know, in the world filled with evil and injustice, one of the ways that we exercise faith in God through it as we walk that path is to worship him because it helps us to keep our attention on him when other things are vying to take our attention away. You stare into the darkness long enough and that darkness will stare into you. So looking unto Jesus, the author of Hebrews says, you know, when I was a little kid, I'll close with this. When I was a little kid, I, uh, sorry, it's a lot about my child today. When I was a little kid though, I remember my mom, she made me, she made me go sing in, in uh, seniors' residences. She made me like it was, I was voluntold. And at the time, I didn't, I didn't mind it. I got to a certain age where I just wasn't doing it anymore, but that's another story. But I remember one of the songs that I would sing, that she taught me to sing and I would sing, was a song that goes, it's Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. And you know what's funny is when I was little, I would, I would practice singing that song and many times as I sang that song, I would start to cry. 
I had no concept of the why that was, though. I don't know why I was crying. I was too little to put this together. Like, why, why am I crying? There's nothing wrong. I'm just singing a song. And it wasn't because I had to go sing in front of a bunch of people. It was just something about the song moved me. Now that I'm older, I don't know if I put this together at the time, but I think I know why. Because looking unto Jesus is exactly what I need, and it's the call on how I'm going to get through this life. Do you know that song? It goes, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Let me just sing that with me. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. 